substance misuse has become a top five cost driver of medical claims today. Um, and that's been growing over the past few years. Um, so they really want to ensure that, you know, they're able to sort of reverse that trend, reduce healthcare costs, and also ensure that their employees are in a strong place. So we really think there's a win-win with that approach of partnering with employers to reduce costs, but then they're really having an impact on our members and achieving our vision. Welcome back to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators transforming health. I'm your host, Logan Blaster. When I first met today's guest, he was a newly minted doctorpreneur. After finishing med school, Yusuf Sherwani teamed up with a couple fellow doctors to tackle a massive, pervasive problem that they were seeing in their clinics. Day after day, they were coming upon patients struggling with addiction, whether smoking or drinking or opioids. These were people stigmatized by their addictions into fear and inaction, or they'd reached out for help and found the options unsuccessful. They thought, with today's technology and breakthroughs in addiction management, there has to be a better way. So they built Quit Genius, the world's first virtual clinic for substance use management. They combined the best digital health tools in the market with leading cognitive behavioral therapy and medication-assisted treatment. Their solution met a hungry market. Since inception, Yusuf and his team have helped more than 750,000 people manage their substance use, and with $77 million raised, they're poised to scale even further and faster. I wanted to sit down with Yusuf to hear their scale-up vision, but also to get the story behind their recent rebrand to Pelago. Yusuf explains the name change, it's derived from the word archipelago, and explains where this growing company is headed next. Stick around. So Yusuf, thank you for being here. Thanks, I appreciate it. Two or three it years. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. We did our initial story about Quid Genius um, as many as, yeah, two years ago, kind of the pre well, uh, pre-early COVID times, I believe. And you have grown. You have really exploded since that time. So I want to talk about your growth as a company, but also we're here to talk about your rebrand, the company's new name, and all the things that are behind it. But let's just start with the big picture of what is this company that you've built with a really a focus on your health moonshot? What is this big global goal that you're after? Sure. So, um, you know, I would I would sort of define Pelago as really being the world's leading virtual clinic for substance use management. Um, what that practically means is we're transforming substance use support all the way from the prevention through to treatment. Um, focusing on the most common and prevalent addictions today. So that's tobacco use, alcohol use, opioid use disorder. We're doing it across the entire continuum of care. Um, but the way we're doing it really is by taking these uh, therapies that we have known to be incredibly effective for many decades, things like cognitive behavioral therapy, medication-assisted treatment, um, that unfortunately only 10% of people with an addiction today, with a substance use disorder today, actually get access to. And we've really tried to reinvent them for the 21st century. What would they look like if they were delivered today um, using a much more virtual care program approach that improves accessibility, reduces costs, um, but still has the same level of effectiveness that people should expect? Why, is, why have there been such barriers to this kind of care, given the magnitude of the problem? It's, it's a great question, um, and I think that's like, you know, a pretty deep question. You can look at it at different layers from just like an overall healthcare perspective all the way to 
you know, um, substance use management specifically. Um, you know, we study this quite a bit, and I think it comes down to a few different things. Um, first of all, um, you know, we almost take sort of a three-pillar approach, right? It comes down to a combination of access, cost, and health equity. Um, so I'll sort of start with access. I think the first thing is that um, a recognition that sort of, you know, the U.S. is a geographically very vast space. 20% of the population is um, rural, unfortunately. Um, behavioral health and particularly substance use disorders have been a real wild west when it comes to treatment approach. There's so many different approaches out there, despite the fact that, you know, the best practice has been known for a very long time. So a recent study found that only about 15% of people and um, 15% of providers were actually following evidence-based practice for substance use disorders, um, which is a real sort of challenge. You add to that the demographic shift um, and the challenges with access from a waiting times perspective. On average, it takes 21 days to access a behavioral health provider, we've been able to reduce that down to 24 hours. Cost has also been massively prohibitive. Um, traditionally, substance use disorder treatment has fallen out of network, and often you have to travel in order to find an available provider, and that acts as a side of barrier. Um, and then the final piece is just effectiveness. It's, you know, when you sort of look at those um, numbers around the, the use of evidence-based practice, um, and then health inequities that have become more commonplace over time, um, you know, again, that contributes towards being another friction point and barrier. And within that stigma, um, it's not the thing that people feel most comfortable talking about. And as a result, people often don't seek treatment until things start to get really bad. But, you know, this was much more preventable if we took, um, you know, more proactive approach earlier in people's care journeys. All right. So let's get really practical about your uh, proactive approach. What is it that you that you built and kind of where are you at in the in the company life cycle? Yeah, so um, you know, I said that we, the, the way we our, our programs are, are architected is really to look at what is best practice um, from a treatment perspective, and then what would that look like if it was reinvented today. Um, and um, it comes down to really sort of a, a four pillar approach. So, um, you know, we are a healthcare provider ourselves in the U.S. Um, so we have our own care team that consists of. A nationwide network of physicians, nurse practitioners, coaches, drug and alcohol counselors, and um, who are able to deliver support through our app, um, through a telehealth experience. But it goes beyond just telehealth. It includes asynchronous support in app messaging. Um, in conjunction with that, um, you know, we have um, Pelago RX, which is end-to-end -end medication management. So we're at a point now where our physicians um, cannot just prescribe medication for our members but we can actually discreetly fulfill those prescriptions to people's homes or partner with the employer to integrate directly with their PBM. And it's a closed loop system. So our app then has in-app adherence tracking to see whether or not those people are actually taking the medications um, and remote monitoring. And that all creates um, a rich feedback loop for our care team to see how members are doing it over time. Um, it goes beyond human support as well. We have this entire personalized technology and support program where in between sessions, individuals are able to interact with digital cognitive behavioral therapy content and craving tools, um, you know, check in their progress. Um, and then we gamify some of the rewards that people actually will, you know, expect as they overcome an addiction, the money saved, uh, the impacts you have on sleep, et cetera. Um, so it's really this sort of holistic program that's built around an individual that's designed to really get them to the best place that they need and provide an engaging experience, much like people would expect from any Sort of technology product today, but but doing it in healthcare, which unfortunately hasn't really been known for its 
sort of, you know, um, consumer-led approach historically. Um, so that's the program itself. I think fundamentally the question is how do we get people into the program? So our business model is really built on a B2B2C approach. We partner with employers and health plans today um, who are actually coming at this with a very strong ROI incentive. They've seen that substance misuse has become a top five cost driver of medical claims today. Um, and that's been growing over the past few years. Um, so they really want to ensure that you know they're able to sort of reverse that trend reduce healthcare costs and also ensure that their employees are in a strong place. Um, so, you know, we really think there's a win-win with that approach of partnering with employers to reduce costs, but then they're really having an impact on our members and achieving our vision. Now, just to make sure that I'm clear, we're talking about the full gamut of substance use disorder, whether it's uh, smoking, uh, opioid use, what all do you cover? Exactly. So it's the full gamut of different types of substance addictions, but also the continuum of care. Um, so, you know, for somebody with, you know, somebody with, um, who, who's drinking too much, that could basically be anything from binge drinking to, you know, moderate alcohol use disorder, where they're high functioning all the way through to severe alcohol use disorder. Um, now the traditional treatment paradigm has meant that people don't feel comfortable um, seeking support until they really get to that sort of end stage until it's a severe alcohol use disorder. Yeah. Um, and what we're really trying to do is take a much more proactive approach and um, partnering with our enterprise clients to identify people who are at risk um, of getting there, preventing that. But also if they do have a severe alcohol use disorder or an opioid use disorder, um, then we're able to actually also treat that for the most part virtually. So typically what we find is about 90% of people um, with a substance you know, misuse of some kind can actually be treated virtually, but on. Um, and we're already focused on engaging them in their care. Um, and it, it, it is everything from, yeah, tobacco um, through to the full spectrum of alcohol use disorder to opioid use disorders. And in the future, we're looking at also adding other you know, substances such as stimulant addictions, cannabis addictions, et cetera. Gotcha. Yeah, there, that is a Pandora's box, isn't it? Uh, we're we're addi all addicted to something. Uh, is, yeah, part of the reason why we're having this conversation is that you recently rebranded. You went through a major rebrand. Um, uh, Pelago is the new name. And so I want to know uh, kind of what the journey was like, what you learned over the last couple of years that led you to the rebrand decision. You know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast and watch this channel uh, are, are founders themselves. Many have gone through this sort of rebrand challenge. And so really some, some of the tactical things you thought through could be helpful here. So what does the new name mean and why did you do this? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, so the tactical advice I would give founders is um, spend more than five minutes thinking about your company's name before starting. Um, um, but, uh, you know, all, all joking aside, like there was intentionality with the former name Quit Genius, right? Um, and the reason was we started with a focus on tobacco cessation, which more often than not, you know, involves quitting. You, you typically don't want to reduce the number of cigarettes because of the nature of a nicotine addiction. It's much more effective when you actually go cause erky and quit altogether. And that's, you know, how you have a successful outcome. Um, so, so we've been doing that for years. We had a vision um, of substance use management when we started, but we also recognize that, you know, this is way back before COVID, like nobody knew virtual care was a thing at one knew whether or not it would work like the idea of overcoming an addiction without actually interacting with providers in person was a bit sort of out there as an idea which sounds crazy today but we had to really prove that so we focused on something that was 
towards the lower severity end of the spectrum involved less regulations from a caretaking perspective. Um, and fundamentally, we proved not just non-inferiority to traditional forms of treatment, but we could actually significantly improve on the traditional approach with, um, you know, with a virtual care model. Um, over the years, we added, um, you know, full spectrum alcohol use disorder, opioid use disorders, um, co-occurring anxiety and mental illnesses as well. Um, and what we realized was that the biggest barrier that we based was, uh, you know, that we faced was actually the stigma. Um, and often the fact that people had tried to sort of quit as it were, or overcome their addiction before, but they had failed or they hadn't been successful. Mm. Um, and they almost correlated our name with another attempt of like, you know, lack of success or mm, Okay. And it's not lost on us that while our program was called Quit Genius, we didn't actually stand for always quitting because it was really about empowering individuals to achieve their personal goals. Sometimes that is to quit, but sometimes it's to find balance and come back. So the word itself was sort of conjuring up this stigma that you that you didn't want. So it really was a significant sort of barrier to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, clients as well sort of identified us because of that name as, as a tobacco cessation program. But we had already helped thousands of people overcome alcohol, um, you know, misuse as well. Um, so... So we went through this entire strategic process of speaking to our clients, speaking to our members and understanding, you know, what they really enjoyed from Quit Genius, um, but also what they wanted to get from from the program. And that's where the, you know, through that branding exercise, um, the name Pelago came to us. It's actually rooted in the term archipelago, which refers to a string of islands scattered across the sea. Um, and what we found was there was this constant theme of loneliness and feeling like you're an island that our members were really struggling with. Um, whereas we believe that nobody is truly an island and we wanted to metaphorically deliver a sea of support to our members. Um, and as we connected the themes together, it became pretty clear that actually this archipelago theme was a great metaphor for what we're trying to do. Um, and Pelago was that invented term that, that best described it. And yeah, it's been super well received. I, I would say going beyond just the name, it's really the entire brand that's around um, sort of offsetting a sense of loneliness that our members feel. Um, but from a client perspective, really reinforcing that, you know, we stand for substance use management from that full spectrum, from prevention through to treatment, uh, treatment across multiple substances. And on both of those sort of areas, you know, we found the new brand has really found um, a fit with our clients and members. Anything that you would do differently about the rebrand itself besides spend, spend more than five minutes on the on the first idea? It, 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 it's a great question. I think, um, you know, I will say that I think our team, um, you know, in spite of me rather than because of me, executed on the rebrand incredibly well um, with with reasonably scarce resources. Um, you know, in, in, in many ways, there's sort of an argument that we could have done this so much earlier. But when you get to our sense of scale and size where, you know, you have so many members, you have hundreds of clients, you have channel partners, health plans, you have this B2B2C model. I would actually say not rushing the process. Um, we found to be, you know, very important taking a methodical approach um, because ultimately you don't want to be changing the name, you know, on a particularly regular basis. But, you know, for us, I think the name was, the, the change in brand um, was an opportunity for reinvention. This is something that I spend a lot of time talking to our employees about because, um, you know, things change and um, it's really important, I feel, for startups as well as larger organizations to feel comfortable reinventing themselves um, in the face of a changing environment and this really fit into the theme of reinvention. 
Got it. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit away from sort of the, the warm and fuzzy of a new brand to the the challenges of addiction, particularly in the, your U.S. market. Uh, it feels like this this ballooning problem is just getting bigger. And I wonder if you could just sort of comment on the state of um, of addiction in the U.S. and and maybe what makes it a uniquely challenging environment here in the United States. It's a great question. Um, and uh, just a week ago, we released our first annual trends report for substance use management. Um, and it really, you know, it, it really highlighted a few key themes um, about substance use disorder and the challenges that, you know, employers, payers, providers, and then individuals, most of all, um, are facing today. And, and there are a few that really stood out that, you know, I can comment on over here. We spend a lot of time thinking about our members. Um, but what we often don't spend time thinking about is the impact that substance use has on um, their family as well. Um, what we found is, you know, somewhere in the region of one in five individuals will have a substance use disorder of some kind. However, almost half of the population, 46% of American workers today, are actually grappling with the ill effects of substance use when you also include a family member or a dependent. And so often we forget that this is really um, like a, a family challenge. Anybody that's been through this challenge will know firsthand that if you have a spouse, if you have a child, if you have a parent going through this, um, this really affects you. And it's important to really, um, you know, recognize that as an employer and 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 see how you can go beyond just serving your employees. Um, and this came through in, you know, in, in our stats, you know, 46% of American workers were concerned about substance use either personally or with their family. Mm. Um, when you actually sort of dug a little bit deeper, 30% of individuals were specifically missing work because of family members problems with um you know substance use or alcohol misuse um and then the other thing that's really highlighted is that the stigma is real um and typically the way employers have made benefits decisions over what's covered in their health plans has been what sort of individuals ask for but what we found was that only about seven percent of individuals actually feel comfortable bringing this up as an issue with mm. their employer and as a result while two thirds of employers, um, two thirds of indiv- uh, two thirds of employees, um, you know, want a substance use benefit of some kind, um, only about seventeen percent actually have that, and and you know that sort of divide that mismatch between what employees are asking for and what they're actually getting, often you know again comes down to stigma and some of the barriers yeah. that exist to accessing care. So I think there's been like quite a few of these trends where it's reinforced what we know to be true that stigma is a real issue that chat and that access is a real issue and and you know the cost also has a significant implications families you talked a bit ago about the power of going upstream and starting to address some of these issues before they become a a total crisis before they explode uh and catching somebody early um how do you do that how do you engage with folks let's say you're working with a big employer and there's a, a whole body of people who are sort of thinking in their minds, like, you know, maybe I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm developing a habit here. You know, I've gone beyond my normal use of whatever substance, drinking, smoking, and there's a habit here. And in the, in the back of my mind, I know I'm heading towards an issue and I could be susceptible to a program that would, that would head it off, but, um, but it's going to take the right, it's going to take the right hook. So how do you grab those people? You mentioned gamifying the process. What are some of your strategies for engagement? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, and, um, you know, what I'll say is we we typically find that an individual falls into different buckets almost. 
Um, so around 10 to 15% of individuals, um, uh, you know, with a substance use disorder are actually actively seeking treatment. Um, and you can typically identify that population through sophisticated, like, you know, clinical targeting strategies that looks at claims data, looks at pattern recognizing different types of claims data, um, you know, applies AI and machine learning to sort of build um, that um, persona almost and then target them. Um, but the reality is for the majority of people with a substance use disorder, um, about 50 to 60 percent, um, they're not seeking treatment today. So it really comes down to awareness building. And this is where us being a provider, partnering with payers and employers to go upstream um, is really valuable because we're not just, you know, we're not just an end provider in the network of a health plan. We're actually a strategic partner to our clients where we're able to, through a multi-channel process of just awareness manager training webinars, um, general sort of awareness around things like mental health, um, you know, awareness week, for instance, or dry January, um, able to run campaigns that are focused on helping employees and individuals just better understand their substance use, their relationship with different types of substance. How much am I drinking compared to my peers? What impact is that having on my sleep, the quality of my relationships, other areas of my life? Do I have a problem in the first place? Um, so we help, you know, through those multi-channel awareness processes um, to, to, to basically just provide better education um, within our clients. And then from there, um, you know, we typically, if people are eligible and, and, you know, they meet some of the criteria for our program of being at risk, if not having a substance use disorder, we'll complete a multidimensional assessment um, where they will then, you know, we'll be able to see where they are on the continuum, what comorbidities they have, what their social determinants look like. Um, and then we enroll them into our program where we're able to deliver a very personalized care plan that's based on the acuity level that they have knowing that they might be at different areas of the of the care continuum. Have you been able to measure success in terms of your ability to reach people who are lower acuity, who are upstream, who haven't yet had a crisis? It's a great question. And I would say that we found there's no silver bullet, uh, bullet there. And when we first launched our wider substance use disorder program, we were indexing, like the clinical targeting piece was almost easier. We were indexing towards people who were towards the more, uh, you know, moderate to severe end of the care continuum. Um, over time, we've developed a core competency of working, um, you know, with our internal teams to, to, to develop positioning and messaging that actually resonates with people earlier in their journey. And what we realized is that you almost don't want to mention substance misuse, addiction, substance use disorders, because these people often don't identify as having a condition or think like it's all about stigma reducing language. Just let's revisit your relationship with alcohol. What does that potentially look like? So as we've refined that messaging um, and as we've used other techniques like contingency management, we're actually able to go so much further upstream um, and identify people who themselves, until they speak to one of our care team members, didn't even realize that they had a problem in the first place. They didn't realize that their poor sleep or the deteriorating quality of their relationship was linked to their XL and excess substance consumption. So. I think over there, it really comes down to just, you know, recognizing that there's real stigma over here, recognizing that, um, you know, this is an area that is really affecting people um, in a pretty deep way. And you don't want to do things that might alienate them potentially or use stigma reducing language that might put them off. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I bet you've been exposed to some really inspiring stories of folks who've come through your program. I wonder if there's any that sort of stick with you and, and kind of keep you going when it's a tough day. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about being this mission-driven organization and being surrounded by mission-driven colleagues is that there's almost this regular feedback loop of like inspiring stories. I mean, running a startup, you know, you, you sort of, um, you, you interview a lot of people. It's, it's incredibly difficult and it can be a struggle at times. Um, and this is where I think you have the edge when you're A, working on a very hard problem, like trying to change society's perceptions and approach to treating this really challenging condition. Um, and then B, you know, you're having a positive impact that at the end of the day makes it feel like it's worth it. And, you know, the great thing about sort of what we do is we have this steady stream of stories and testimonials and like emails and feedbacks of pieces that we get from our members um, that, 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 you know, are, are super rewarding. Um, I would say that there's one that was shared in our all hands fairly recently that um, was a really inspiring story. Um, and it was, it was a story that we very commonly see. So this was Michael. Um, he's a salesperson at one of our large manufacturing clients. He struggled with alcohol for more than 10 years. Um, it was a problem before COVID, but as with you know many of these conditions, COVID made it so much worse because he started to work more remotely. He was able to work at home. He felt isolated from his peers. He didn't see them as frequently. Um, and then he turned to um, you know increased drinking um, as a coping mechanism. Um, again, crucially, he knew that they were, like this wasn't healthy, but he didn't attempt to seek help because the idea of going to rehab and putting a label on it um, you know, was quite scary. Um, and then, you know, he learned about Quit Genius, uh, well, about Quit Genius at the time, Pelico today, um, through, uh, education and awareness piece we did with his employer. Um, and he thought, you know what, this is pretty low barrier, low friction to sign up. I don't need to go anywhere. He signed up to the program when we interviewed him about a month ago, he was 192, uh, 92 days alcohol free, completely abstinent. You know, he spoke about the way it had just totally changed his life. It affected his anxiety. He thought he had an anxiety problem versus a drinking um, problem. In many ways, it's affected his sleep. He's more productive at work. He's not missing days anymore. Um, and it's changed his relationships with his family as well. The thing is just, it's one of those stories that like, it's easy to get lost amongst sort of, you know, the thousand people going through the program and, and sort of the impact we're having the technology we're working on. But I think it really brings home that you know, at the end of the day, we're missionaries, we're, we're really trying to have a positive impact on the world. And if we help just one person, it's rewarding. And um, he hearing that story come through was was great to the team because he actually sent a video testimonial. So you know, you could see him always tearing up as he spoke about his experiences, which was which was just amazing to see. I love it. I love it. Oh, that's a great note to end on. Just tell us uh, what you are most excited about for the rest of twenty twenty three. Um, I mean. I would probably say it's just, you know, being able to realize our impact. I think um, digital health companies um, have gone through a really roller coaster a few years. You know, it went from super trendy um, post-COVID to, um, uh, you know, challenges with the macroeconomic headwinds that, you know, all founders have had to grapple with. Um, but, you know, what I'm seeing as I speak to other founders, speak to our team is like, we're building great things. We're having an impact. Um being able to see the impact we're having tangibly take a hold through the members that we're positively affecting, um, I think really bring that full circle. And so my advice generally to founders is if you sort of you know, just focus on the next step and you focus on um, you know, the the positive impact, um, then you know, that's 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 kind of the most, you know, rewarding part of the job. And, you know, most other things take care of themselves as long as, you know, you take an intentional enough approach. So I think for us, it's just like, how can we scale our impact this year? How can we get our service to more people? Like we haven't seen that slowdown in demand in 
if anything, we've seen the need for what we do is bigger than ever before. I love it. Yusuf, thank you for taking the time with me. It has been very exciting to see you grow, raise funds, scale up, now rebrand to Pelago. Uh, I love the rebrand. It's beautiful. It's meaningful. And it's been great to hear your story today. So uh, thank you. And I wish you the best. Thanks so much, Logan. Appreciate it. All right. Be well. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.